Steve, happy Monday. How are you, man? Uh, good. I'm heading sheep hunting here pretty dang soon, so I can't yeah. really think straight, but um, <laughs> yeah, I'm doing good. Well, it took all summer, but we're finally actually recording the Monday Minute on a Monday morning, so yeah. things are changing. You can tell it's a change of season, like we're back on schedule, <laughs> which will soon be off of schedule again. We'll be hunting, <laughs> yeah. but you know, at least we got one in there, right? Yep. Oh yeah, man. We were, we were chatting this weekend and you're like, yeah, I guess we'll record Monday, but I don't know where my head's going to be at just because you're literally getting ready to take off and be on stoked for sure. So yeah. what did you, um, sort of fill listeners in, we were exchanging texts and going back and forth on food a little bit. What did you decide with food? What are you thinking kind of per day and what's that looking like for you for this hunt? Yeah, specifically? I'm going to err on, let's see, I think I'm right at depending on different uh, dehydrated meals balance between about 600 and 800 calories. So I'll be with like 35 to 3,700 calories per day. And mm-hmm. then it's hitting just right at two pounds. Uh, you know, want the, some days are, you know, half an ounce lighter. Some days are an ounce heavier than that, but the average is two pounds. Yeah. Yeah. Do you try and do quite a bit of variety? Like, so each day isn't too same. No, not get- really. I don't, I don't mind eating the same thing day after day. Cause I pick foods that in general, I like to eat. Right. Yeah. Um, I, d- I definitely know guys that are, you know, have to have something different every day, but for me, for the most part, it's like the variation is like a couple bars one way or the other, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and then the meals are the dehydrated meals every night are, uh, different, but, um, yeah. Cool. One thing I did this year, which I, I did last year is I, some of the, I got some of the peak, um, dinners, and they're two servings and I broke them up into two different Ziploc bags, um, had a little kitchen scale and just like, you know, if the contents was 6.4 ounces, then I poured 3.2 ounces into one Ziploc bag, little quart size ones and 3.2 into the other. And I kind of found this, um, I think it's just kind of always been there, but there's definitely been times it's like you get to that five or 6 PM and you're just starving. And I end up eating like whatever's left in my bag. And then not like a few hours later, it's dark and you're like, gosh, I'm really not that hungry for my, you know, my dehydrated meal. But, you know, obviously I need to choke it down. So this way I was like, oh, this would be kind of cool. I'll, I'll, uh, you know, midday, somewhere between noon and three, if I'm sitting there glassing, I'll just cook up one of the bags um, and then, uh, and then have another one for, for dinner, just kind of break it up a little bit. So <laughs> we'll, we'll try it out and then putting it, I actually found out, put it, in, you know, I've been weighing everything, um, two Ziploc bags. You save like 0. 0.6 ounces, um, per compared to the full, um, bag from uh, peak. So, mm. uh, I'm general that packaging varies by company, but those peak ones are fairly big bags and cause they're, you know, quote unquote, two servings in there. And, um, uh, yeah, you save a little bit of weight. So over, you know, this is not much, but you're talking over the, if you got a seven day hunt, you're, you know, three and a half, four ounces, it's the weight of a knife. Um, it's something. Yeah. And, and the, you know, two Ziploc bags, uh, the trash aspect of packing that stuff back out. Um, you know, those just a lot smaller and more compact and kind of crumble up better. Yeah. Yeah. I've repackaged meals quite a bit just for the, the space factor too. Those Ziplocs are, you can get them smaller. They're softer, you know, they just kind of can form a lot better. As yep. you said, the weight savings is there a little bit. I've never, I've never thought of rationing one. I've opened plenty of peak meals or similar and put them in a Ziploc, but never done the the two meals out of one. So that'll yeah, be just, interesting. Yeah, I specifically remember on the, um, 
on the on the doll sheep hunt last year and i was just like i think i packed that's probably that 36 to 3800 calories per day and i know there was you know you're just kind of hunting all day and you have a decent amount of food left over in the afternoon and just start like oh, i'm starving i'll cram this down and then all of a sudden I got, i'd get to dinner and i'd be like ah, i just i'm not hungry so i'd cook it and maybe eat half my meal or something like that you know just had a tough time choking it all down so um yeah the, give the strategy a try and see how it goes I like it, man. Um, one question that came up and we were actually just talking about this right before we hit record. We had a listener question for Monday minute that was kind of in the queue. Uh, but he basically was asking how much spare ammo do you usually pack when considering that ounces equal pounds? So you were just talking Steve, as I yeah. mentioned before this about realizing the weight of ammo. So for you, this hunts and we were chatting again before it's like, for me, it's dependent on you know, who I'm with or if I'm solo and who has a tag, who has another weapon if needed. Um, this is a instance where you're, you're in the Frank, you're pretty deep on this one in particular, you're going to be solo. So you definitely want to have some extra insurance. Yeah. So what does that look like for you? Um, yeah, I kind of debated this last night. So, and then, then put ammo on a scale. I was like, son of a gun. Well, you know, stuff's heavier than you think. I, 12 rounds was eight and a half ounces, I think. Um, I think that's right where it was i weighed a bunch of stuff last night but um yeah eight and a half ounces for 12 rounds so it's, it's not light um but again you know the, i can definitely see a scenario uh where you possibly drop the gun and then you need to re you know recite in out there or at least verify that you're still on and you could lose you know three four five rounds right there easily if if you have to recite in so um yeah i got i'll have 12 i got six will be in the pack six are in the my uh, bino harness and then i'll actually have three in the gun so i'll have 15 total um rounds which should be plenty obviously hopefully you just need one but uh, yeah. yeah it should be when you're uh you said no one else has got a gun and you're by yourself that would you know have to hike all the way out because you ran out of ammo just because i was trying to save a few ounces it seems pretty silly yeah um let's hit this steve we just essentially kind of just today are launching uh a contest, if you will, called the EXO experience. Um, and if you guys get our emails, you may have already seen this or we'll be seeing it soon. Um, but essentially, you know, there's kind of two, two aspects to this. One is you and I and Jake and Pat and all the guys at EXO just generally love seeing what our, what our customers are doing with packs, right? Like, uh, I, I don't think my job would be as filling if we just ship product away and then never heard back from folks. And so I just, I always love to get emails from guys, hear about their trips, hear what worked, what didn't get feedback on products, hear about their hunts, all that stuff. And so this is kind of a formal way to make that happen. But two, you know, we want to incentivize people to do it too. So there's a bunch of prizes to go along with this, but, um, you know, we're calling it the EXO experience because to us, we, we want, we want to realize and see and hear about the whole experience and not just like trophy photos. We love getting trophy photos. That's great. But, you know, hunting success rates being what they are, there's going to be a ton of guys who go on a hunt this year and probably have some amazing experiences, but don't necessarily kill an animal, or maybe they don't kill an animal. They think is worthy of being a quote unquote trophy photo. And so for all those guys, we still want to hear from them, right? So um, to us, and we've talked about this plan, Steve, the, the experience of the hunt is 
what keeps us going. It's like what we try to get out of the hunt, you know, is as great as it is to kill a big buck, bull, sheep, what have you. And as awesome as it is to fill the freezer, which is great. Like if the experience isn't there, like we don't get the full benefit out of a hunt. And so we want to kind of hear from you guys, the listeners and customers of XO about what does that look like for you? Um, and then more than just photos, we kind of called it like a photo story contest. And that was that whole story piece, Steve, you and I were going over some stuff I had put together to launch this. And essentially we were talking about it, but not in those words. And then you kind of came up with that idea of like, with what we're doing, with what we want, we should really call this a photo story. So maybe elaborate on that yeah. a little bit from your perspective. Well, yeah. I mean, I think we talk about it all the time here on the podcast, right? Like, And especially for me and you, we're like, we're not trophy hunters. It's uh, in the, you know, in my old age here, <laughs> 37, uh, you know, <laughs> just learn to, you know, I mean, for me, it's became really pre- prevalent when once you have kids and just how precious time is away, how lucky we are to be in the field, how lucky we are to have all this public land and places to access. And, you know what I mean? It's just gratitude for, for the whole thing. And that's, that's the whole experience of just, you know, we got to look forward to this all year long and then pack your bags and get your pack ready and get all your gear dialed in and all the practice and training. And then, uh, and then you get on the hunt and it's, it's traveling to the place, whether it's a short drive or multiple plane flights out into the middle of Alaska. Um, I, I just, for me, it's, always taking a moment to step back and just appreciate the entire experience when, when you're out there in the field and you've got this, you know, 3000 foot peak to climb and it's middle afternoon and it's hot and, um, you know, just appreciate it step back and, and get out of your head at that instant, right. Where you think part of this sucks. Um, and just like, man, this is awesome. So to me, that's the EXO experience, right? Like just appreciating every aspect of the hunt and, and, realizing how lucky we are to be out there doing what we love. Um, so that's, you know, capture photos that, that tell all those little moments, you know, that first thing waking up in the morning and, and steam coming off your jet boilers, you're making your coffee and the optics are set up on a tripod and you're glassing for, for me, for bighorn sheep, probably about 36 hours, uh, <laughs> when I'll be next morning. Um, you know, geez, man, that stuff's just awesome. So that's, you know, it's always been a goal of mine is to capture those little moments in in photography that, you know, it's not just sitting behind, beside a, behind a dead animal. And here's my picture with it. It's, it's all that other stuff that makes up the total of the hunt. And that's what the, that's what we wanted to do. Just encourage people to, to capture those moments and, and to incentivize them with, you know, found some pretty cool prizes and do a little contest out of it. And, yeah, I think it's going to be awesome. Yeah. So you can get, you guys can get all the details. Uh, if you just go to exomountaingear.com forward slash experience, or there will be a link in the show description, but just to touch on it briefly, again, photos are great. Ideally see a story with that. And when we say a story, it doesn't have to be paragraph upon paragraph. Like maybe it's a few sentences that describe this moment of that experience and what that meant to you. So um, you don't have to do the story to be entered in total. So let's two things. One is there's going to be monthly prizes in September, October, and November. Um, and you guys can start submitting stuff now. Um, and then if you have like, say multiple hunts, then feel free to submit again later. So if you have a hunt 
here in September and then you're doing a rifle hunt in October and you want to enter, you know, some photos or stories from both of those, you can definitely do that. We're going to pick a winner in each of those months um, based primarily upon the photos for that. The story piece really comes into play when we do a grand prize at the end of the year. Um, and that's where we're looking for kind of that that whole essence of what an exo experience means to us and then trying to, to select that. So um, in September, the guys from Spartan Precision gave us some gear. So we're going to have a Spartan Precision Pro Hunt bipod, their Davros head, and an optics adapter. Uh, in October, the guys from Catabatic Gear um, are going to give away a quilt. You guys can choose any model that you'd like from Catabatic Gear. Uh, in November, SIG is allowing us to give away one of their cross rifles and their Zulu, Zulu 6 image stabilization binos. Um, and all of that is gear that we have personally used and personally like, and just ask these guys like, Hey, here's gear that we love. Would you mind helping us do this giveaway? And all those folks said yes, which was awesome. So thanks to them. Um, the grand prize, we basically want to help fund your next experience. And so we're going to have a cash prize at the end of the year. And then, as I mentioned, the story piece coming into play. Uh, we love for whoever we select here with the story and their exo experience to come on the podcast with us as well. Um, and so that's what things are looking like for the grand prize and for each of those. So each of the three monthly prizes plus the grand prize, Steve, there's a super cool Chris Reeves knives that tell people about it. Cause it's funny that there's probably a lot of guys listening to the podcast who maybe never even heard of Chris Reeves, but if you're a knife guy, you certainly have. There's a lot of demand out there for their stuff, has been for decades at this point, and collectability. And sometimes they do limited runs of stuff that goes bonkers. We have a limited run that I'm probably glad the Chris Reeves type people, like their cult following, doesn't know about it. Otherwise, they'd be beating down our door. But what's up with us? Yeah, with no, the they're, um, they're Tim, uh, Tim Reeve over there, Chris Reeves, Chris's dad, or Tim's dad, Chris started it, and Tim's there kind of run the show they're our neighbors um right here in town their their shop is literally next door to ours and so we're always hanging out with those guys and they make some just unbelievable knives and i had talked to tim about you know wanting to do a kind of an ultralight backpacking knife and and that's something that he was kind of already looking into and and we just kind of did this uh we actually made him uh i was hunt, you know using it last year on some hunts and testing it out and then uh we made them over back in December and January. And, you know, I've, we've given them out to, to guys that are kind of, um, on our staff or things like that, just kind of friends and it's nothing we've sold. And we have a few left over that we want to give away to, uh, to this for the EXO experience. So, uh, it's super light, low profile. Uh, it's made out of S 45 EN steel, which, um, kind of, uh, I think a lot of guys are familiar with 30 and, and S 30 and S 35, and then you got like the super hard stuff that's S90, like a, a Benchmade Altitude, which will hold an edge forever, but, you know, pretty hard to sharpen. Uh, you got to be pretty skilled. You got to be a, a Mark Helsing to get that thing <laughs> <laughs> sharp uh, once it gets dull. Um, but yeah, the S45, I was very impressed with it using it last year. The hell an edge great and, and isn't a bear to resharpen. So uh, yeah, sweet little knife. Uh, definitely. Uh, I know if uh, I'd be more than ecstatic to win one. So yeah. 
Cool. Well, you guys, again, can go to xamountgear.com forward slash experience to get all the details, see all the prizes, get entered. And if you're listening to the podcast, you'll certainly hear more about it in the months to come because we're essentially, again, running this all fall through September, October, November, and into December. So whatever hunts or trips or experiences you guys have coming up, get entered. Go check that out. All right, Steve, to hit some listener questions, um, you know, this is, a, this is, I feel like this is a topic we address, you know, multiple times, everybody has a unique story or angle about it, um, but essentially getting over failure. And part of the reason I want to hit this today is number one, the question came up recently, but number two, if guys are heading into season, um, I just want them to have like being a good mindset to start. Right. And maybe you get into a hunt and on day two, day three, things don't go your way. Maybe you botch a shot opportunity, all that stuff. You know, you have to bounce back from that. The hunt's not over till it's over. Uh, the story of my very first archery bowl is a perfect example of that. When I literally shot them at the end of a seven day hunt on that evening with maybe, maybe 30 minutes of shooting light left. So it's truly not over till it's over. Um, but this guy wrote in and, uh, he said, this is his seventh season bow hunting. And last year he got his first and only big game archery kill, which was a mountain goat. That's awesome. He said, but then he ended that season by missing multiple mule deer. And then just recently here in opening weekend in Utah, he took a shot at a coyote, but hit him poorly, never found him. So long story short, between last year's misses at the end of the year, kind of a rough start on this year, he's feeling like his confidence took a hit. And then he went on to say specifically, I feel like I have a long season ahead of me. That statement stood out to me in his email. But to wrap it up, he says, my question is, how do I shake off all of the recent failures and mentally bounce back? So Steve, what are your first thoughts? Yeah. uh, (laughs) Mental toughness, man. I don't, I don't know how else to put it. Um, You just got to go, you just got to get back out there. Uh, I think you got to find a way to rebuild confidence, right. Mm -hmm. Uh, And probably uh, you said most of his stuff was, was missed shots. Yeah, he missed multiple mule deer at the end of last year, made uh, okay. not so good shots beginning of this year. So okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So if I'm if I've in the past, you know, missed some shots, made some mistakes there, it just really comes to to digging in and practicing. Um, you know, that that those types of things led me to how I practice now, right? With getting in real situations uh, or, or mimicking real situations, better way to say it, getting a you know, whether it's archery, getting a 3D target up in the mountains, shooting uphill, downhill, and then approaching it with that one shot, right? Like one arrow, this distance, make it, you know, I psych myself up in my head, like, oh, that's it, you know, put myself into like, I just made this stock and this bucket just stood up and, you know what I mean? Just try, you can kind of elevate your heart rate, get yourself excited just by thinking about it and then make executing that shot and just practice, practice, practice. That's all you can do. Um, and then you got to go create opportunities for yourself when you're out there hunting. Um, and I think, I think obviously there, what's hard is, you know, in public land, Western hunting, you may only, if you're a good hunter, you only get, 
two, three, four shots a year at animals, right? Uh, so it's not like you get a lot of practice there. So you got to figure out ways to to get more practice. And I, I think that's um, go go down to Texas and pay for a hog hunt where you can go shoot 10 hogs in a weekend. Um, you know, we always talk about um, going up to Kodiak and doing a deer hunt where you have three deer tags in your pocket and just piles of game, like go up there and just start shooting stuff. And it just takes takes time, takes years, um, to kind of build that confidence up, uh, and just, but you got to get yourself in those situations and do it. So there's really no shortcut, just hard work practice, and then create opportunities for yourself. Yeah. I mean, one thing that stood up to me or one idea that came to mind, I should say, is the idea of putting more pressure on yourself in practice and then taking pressure off of yourself in the real world. Right. So mm. often, you know, with practice, you just treat it so casual. You're not creating pressure. You're, you make a bad shot and you just get to shoot another arrow. There's no consequences to a bad shot in practice, um, unless you have the right mindset. And so you need to put more pressure on yourself. You need to make every shot counts. Um, you know, we had an article recently that our buddy Josh wrote and, um, that's on the X amount gear blog. And honestly, this concept goes back a couple of years to Josh and I were talking one day and essentially short on time for me with archery practice, I just like the first shot counts period. And all I try and do is ideally a few times a day, go shoot one arrow. So I, I don't really have the time or honestly desire to go shoot 60 arrows for me. It's typically one quote unquote cold shot, usually with a broadhead and just go make that one shot and do that multiple times. As you said, Steve, try and do that from different angles, different distances, unknown distances, etc. So make every shot count in practice, put some pressure on yourself, use some visual visualization and all that. And then at the same time, you need to try. And especially after some misses, you're probably in your head a lot. So the next shot opportunity to get on an animal you need to be aware of kind of removing pressure. So you, you got to forget about all those misses. You got to forget about the doubt you need to have confidence. And I would say just slow down. So in the moment, if you're concerned with missing, that's what your focus is on is I don't want to miss. I don't want to miss. You need to be concerned with the process of making and executing a good shot. And so you need to focus on the animal and on picking a spot and on checking your level and on ensuring that you're at full draw on your anchor point correctly and all those things. Um, and so, yeah, you just, you got to get in that headspace. Whereas you said, Steve, you're rebuilding some confidence and you're honestly just following the process and whatever that process looks like for you. We've talked about different shots, we sequences and things like that. Think of, you know, go back and look at, episodes with Joel Turner, for example, that we've done. And he talks about a lot about the mental aspects of shot execution. So maybe go to some of that stuff, but it sounds like for this guy, I mean, he's, he's having encounters, he's finding game, he's getting in range and just really needs to focus on executing well when the time comes, which always comes down to confidence, really. Like this is just such a big part of bow hunting is having that confidence to execute when it matters. Yeah, I know. It's like, it just cannot reiterate enough how much confidence matters. Yeah. Um, another timely question, Steve, and this this one comes up. We've 
again, addressed it in prior shows, but it's always worth touching on. And again, it's timely for guys. This guy wrote in and said, I struggle to stay in the game mentally when I'm away on multi-day hunts, especially in like five to 10 day hunts. When I'm away from home and away from the family, I often feel guilty that I'm not there for my wife and kids and can't stay present on the hunt itself. I know that you both are family guys, love being at home with the wife and kids. So how do you personally cope with that when you're away on hunts? Steve, you're going to take off. How do you cope with it? <laughs> yeah, um, it's not getting easier. I'll tell you that much, especially as the kids get older. You know, their uh, son's two and a half. My daughter's turning uh, five here in October. Um, it's not getting easier. <laughs> I yeah. don't know, man. I, um, I think for me, I, I guess to a, I communicate with my wife on how important it is for me to get out there and hunt. Right, like I'm. I'm a better husband and father because of it. Um, and, and then B, I just try to crush it at being a dad when I'm home. Right. Um, and, and especially leading up to a trip, um, I'll kick the wife out of the house for a night or, you know, like, Hey, go do this, go do that. Like I got the kids, you know, get her some breaks before I take off. Um, cause yeah, it's coming up to September and I'm looking at, you know, especially on the sheep tag. I mean, that's going to be hard, but, uh, if it takes 20, 21 days out there in the field to, to kill one, I'm going to do it. Uh, that's a, that's a lot of work on the wife and I'm definitely noticing it with my daughters. I'm, you know, she's just more you know sensitive and emotional, I guess, when I, when she knows I'm leaving, um, my wife was just gone for on a trip for six days and, um, it was the most I've ever seen her, just like sad that mom wasn't around, you know, in the past, it was kind of like, it wasn't a big deal. It was just like, I think she was young enough, like, Oh, whatever. Um, and now it was definitely sad. So I feel, I know, you know, my daughter's more attached to me at the moment than she is my wife. So I know when I'm gone, she's going to be kind of sad and emotional and, um, yeah, it's just not easy. So you just a communicate with the wife, how important it is. And then B try to be reciprocal of that, of, um, when you can let her go out and do stuff and then, you know, it all evens out. So yeah. I guess that's, that's what I got. I don't know. It's not easy. I just, yeah, it's getting harder and I'm getting like, I'm right now I'm currently like, I don't want to be gone for seven days. Right. Like, I wanna, mm -hmm. I wanna, I'm going to miss the heck out of my kids after two, three, four days. So, um, yeah, it's, um, not easy. Yeah. Yeah. Plus one to everything you just said. Um, I think just to touch on kind of the, the other aspect of the question, this guy's saying he struggles to stay in the game when he is there. And so mm -hmm. I would just touch on that and say, if you've made the decision and you've sacrificed time and money and preparation and all that to be there and to take the time and, and go on that hunt, then be fully there and get everything out of that, that you can. So in the end, if you're gone for seven days, you missing your family isn't helping your family. And I'm not saying don't miss them because you will. But what I am saying is you not taking advantage of every moment and staying in the game on the hunt and getting the most out of that hunt, whatever that means for you, is what you should be doing. And you, you know, 
being there, like struggling or in your own head or feeling guilty, that's really not helping them. It's not helping you. You're already gone. So soak it up, get what you can out of it. And as you said, Steve, and I feel the same way for me, the goal is to come back better. And to do that, I have to like get rest and get a mental break and enjoy my time there. Right. If I leave for a week and don't enjoy it and, you know, come back essentially more guilt laden than when I left, like I'm not coming back better. Uh, and so I don't know, it's like tough for me to put into words, but I've realized that over the years, cause I've struggled with that in the past too, but it's like, if I'm already gone, if I'm already away, it's not going to help anybody to feel guilty or to, you know, worry about just missing them. Cause in the end you'll be home in a few days and you'll see them and it's going to be great. But while you're there, while you're gone, you've made the commitment and be all in, like be fully present where you're at and with what you're doing. And yeah, you can still think about them. You can still miss them. I carry, you know, little things, but my daughter made me when she was three and I look at pictures and I do all that stuff. Um, but I still have to like stay fully present and get everything out of that experience that I can get because that's the only way to truly make it worth being gone. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. So, cool. Um, last one Steve will hit today. This guy wrote in, says he's been listening to the podcast for two years, really appreciates the content. Um, he grew up hunting a bit with his dad. Um, this gentleman did when he was young. He's 43 now, and he's starting to take hunting more seriously in the past couple of years. His hunting experience uh, prior and currently has always been with a rifle. And he's considering, basically, is it too late to pick up a bow and become a bow hunter at 43? He says, realistically, at 43, I probably have 20 years left of hunting. Is there, do you have any advice for a rifle hunter who is thinking of changing weapons this late in life? Should I buy the best used setup I can afford, take a few lessons, and start experimenting? Should I reach out to an expert and have them guide, guide me? What is the best way to get started, or, sh- or am I crazy for even thinking about getting started at this point in my life? not crazy at all, man. Do it. Uh, I think if you, uh, probably my only thing would be like, uh, how much time do you have? Right. Uh, if you want to get into archery, I think it's, uh, at least that first year, it's probably a substantial time investment of, you know, just basically learning the ins and outs of shooting a bow. It's, it's a heck of a lot easier to grab a rifle and be able to be proficient out to 300 yards to, to get a bow and, um, dial that in and start understanding, you know, y- y- yes, if you're going to do it, find an expert, go to a bow shop, make a friend, um, you know, hopefully you've got a good bow shop nearby that can help guide you through tuning and arrow selection and bow selection and all that stuff. Um, but if you got the time and you want to do it, absolutely. I don't, I don't think there's, it's ever too late to give that a shot. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it can be incredibly intimidating, um, the yeah. whole world of archery when you're you just don't have experience with it. Um, that said it's doable and it's super enjoyable. Um, I mean, that was essentially my story is not having grown up shooting a bow. Um, all my hunting experience was with a rifle and I was, I basically didn't know anybody to really help me when I started with a bow. And so did a lot of 
a lot of self-taught and, you know, it's a longer learning curve when you do it self-taught. So I was at the point in time with my life where I didn't have kids and stuff like that. And so I could invest a ton of time into it. And that's what I did. And it was great, but you can definitely shorten that learning curve. But as you said, Steve, finding someone who can help you, a local pro shop, things like that. Um, like everything else, I mean, I think archery and bow hunting is, um, you can take it as deep as you want to go. Right. So you can get off in the weeds and you can learn about different tuning methods and cam style, like everything from equipment to technique, to tuning, to shooting, to whatever, like you can go in the weeds and get super deep. You don't have to though. Like you can become an effective bow hunter, um, by kind of really just getting uh, competent in the basics. And so, yeah, absolutely. 42 is like, if you were 52, I would tell you to get started. So definitely not too late. And to me, number one, I think you'll find that you really enjoy shooting a bow. Number two, it just opens a lot, a lot more opportunities for you. So if you look at this guy saying he's going to hunt for maybe another 20 years, you're going to have a lot more opportunities with being able to choose weapons over that 20 years versus only rifle hunting for the next 20 years. So, um, absolutely get started. Um, yeah, local pro shop, local resources are fantastic. Think of not just a pro shop, but like shooting clubs, try and find an archery range of some sort, look for tournaments or leagues, you know, whether that's 3d or even target, um, like it doesn't have to be hunting specific. If you want to find a winter indoor league and start shooting some target stuff, it's going to help you tremendously. So yeah, absolutely get started. Steve, man, I don't know, like actually next week's Labor Day. So I don't think we'll probably have a Monday minute coming out because you're going to be gone before then uh, and we won't get one pre-recorded. I think, Steve, I'll throw this to the listeners. I think that that will be the release date of our zipline shooting video, though, over on the Born and Race channel is Labor Day. <laughs> so we can throw that out there. If you think of next week and you're like, oh, there's no Monday minute, go to the Born and Race YouTube channel. And that evening, uh, I think, is when the zipline shooting is going to come out. I have no idea what that video is going to look like, but Steve, you and I absolutely destroyed the Born and Race crew. Yeah, we did. That was uh, that was ridiculously fun, that's for sure. Stupid but, uh, fun. Exceptionally stupid and dangerous, probably, but hey, why not? <laughs> you got to be you got to be 16 every once in a while. Yeah. So if you want to know what we're talking about, it is what it sounds like. We were flying down zip lines, shooting bows at things, and it was all captured on video. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, if you think of next week and there's no Monday Minute, go watch that instead. I think that's when it's coming out. Otherwise, we will be back soon, guys. Um, obviously, more of our stories to come from hunts. Uh, hopefully, many more of your stories to come from hunts. So enter the EXO experience. Again, that's exomountgear.com forward slash experience with your photos. If you, aside from that, if you have like questions from a hunt or you just want to share a hunting story or something like that for us with the podcast, as always, you can just send an email to podcast at exomountaingear.com and we'll talk to you soon.